The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, how's it coming uh, here in, where are we? We're late. We're in August. Las Vegas. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do remember that. But we're in like late August almost. Um, and Yeah. Today would have been my dad's 88th birthday. Really? Wow. Crazy. Wow. That's amazing. Um, it's more crazy that he died 26 years ago. It's like, fuck. Wow. Best, uh, best memory you have of your dad? Uh... I had a lot because we used to always go out. My dad played a lot of softball and bowled. So, you know, we used to go to the bowling alley and he'd give me money because they always had the arcades. Right. And I remember, like, you know, from New York, like, so we would he would play all over. Like, he worked for Pepsi-Cola. So we used to go to Jones Beach a lot because they had a league. But being that my father was from the streets of Harlem, he used to play a lot of money games. So we would go to like the places in the Bronx. I remember that's where we'd get White Castle and shit like that. And I remember times there were fights and we'd had to run out of there because they were playing and there was a dispute over a foul ball or wherever it was caught or whatever. Because basically they'd be playing other teams. And, you know, this was back in what the fuck, 1975, 77. And they're playing like $1,000 a game. So it gets pretty heated. Wow. And, you know, and watching him play sports all the time, you know, I would, I grew up playing stickball and stoop ball and off the wall and wiffle ball and basketball. And we played, you know, I used to go to Astoria Park and drive my bicycle and I'd be gone for nine hours when I was nine, ten, because I moved out of there when I was ten. So, you know, when I was eight or nine years old, you know, you knew to come home when fucking dinner was being served. My father would work till five o'clock. You know, my mom at that point wasn't working. We'd have dinner at 530. That was my job to be home at 530. And, you know, man, somebody kidnapped you. They could have been long gone eight and a half hours later when they found out you were missing. (laughs) That's the truth. And it happened, but it was very, very infrequent compared yep. to that. Like, there was so much more freedom when you were a, a kid. And yep. then as you grew older, you saw all the kids basically would just be at home all the time playing video games. Nobody got out. You know, we used to play street hockey. You know, we would have to move out of the way when cars came by. Yep. Now, I've never, I never drive where I got to slow down because there's kids playing in the streets. Yeah. The only time I ever see it potentially is if uh, a kid has one of those basketball rooms that, you know, is the, uh, the one on wheels that's like in the driveway and they might be out shooting some, uh, some, you know, baskets. Uh, I'd say that. And the other day I did see a kid with a hockey net. Um, and he was a little, he's a, probably an eight year old. Um, but it's rare. I mean, we used to throw the football and try not to run into the cars that were parked there. Yeah, yeah. We used to have – I remember we had leagues. We had this kid, Steve Bosack. He used to be a fucking, like, stat guy. We would go play basketball at lunchtime in the gym, and he would keep stats of everybody. Hey, you were 5 for 13 shooting. Like, you know, he was also the uh, the, the ninth grade bookie. <laughs> but he wasn't a good bookie because he took a side and you could only bet the opposite side instead of taking the money. And he didn't know what a VIG was back when, you know, 
in 19, you know, 79, 64, yeah, 79 or 80. Yeah. So it would be like you would bet $5 on the game. But it would have this, it would have the point spread and stuff like that. But if the Jets were playing the Giants, you could only take the Giants if he took the Jets. Wow. So he I, wasn't a good bookie because if yeah. he picked bad, because he was the one who picked, and most people who pick don't win. Right. So in reality, if you look back, if I would have just bet every game opposite him, I probably would have made money. Right. And then and then you could have rolled it over into betting onto the softball games. There you go. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a day didn't go by without playing sports pretty much. Yeah. Um so so that brings up a great question, you know, becoming a wrestler promoter, becoming uh you know, being a wrestling fan. Um was there ever any draw to actually uh, either getting on the wrestling mat when you were in uh, school or getting into the wrestling ring when you were in your early 20s? My early 20s? No, when I was in grade school, we had like some wrestling program I remember I was a part of that I think I got pinned both times. And I was like, yeah, it's probably not for me. And now I just grew up watching wrestling. And then, you know, when you're nine, 10 years old, at that point, you didn't really think in 1974, hey, I wonder how I could do that. Because it was right. like watching, you know, sports. You know, I would watch all the sports. The Knicks had Walt Fraser. And then there was a boxer named Joe Fraser. I'm thinking they're both the same guy, and I'm wondering why one's called Walt and one's called Joe, and I'm not really paying attention to that they don't really look alike. You know, my, my first was when Johnny Rods wrestled in WWF, and I'd watch him, and then I was watching with my my abuela in the Olympic Auditorium when we were at home on the rabbit ears watching the wrestling from there with Jimmy Lennon, and there was a guy named Jabba Rook who was actually Johnny Rods playing an Egyptian character, yeah. and man, that blew my mind. I was like nine years old. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I had no understanding. And little did I know later on that the guy he managed was Roddy Piper. Uh, so this was, you know, go look up Roddy Piper in 1973 or 74. He was probably very low. No, wrong. Roddy Piper, I believe, managed Java Rook. That, yeah, because he was managing right at the beginning of his career. So yeah. that was 73 or 74, and I always talk about it. Chavo Guerrero Sr., who was just Chavo Guerrero, and he was like the big superstar in L.A. Yeah. And I always remember when I would meet him, and then, you know, he introduced me because he was at the Nitro Grill, whatever, because he was a cab driver in Vegas. And he'd always want me to tell the story of me watching him wrestle with my abuela in the 70s. I told Chavo Jr., I told Chavo's wife. Anybody who I could tell it to around Chavo, he always wanted to hear that story. Huh. Uh, did you guys, uh, did you ever go down to the uh, Olympic Auditorium? You no. I, when I was in L.A., it was, you know, for Disneyland. And, you know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't torn down, but it was rarely, rarely used at that point. You know, when I went there, when I was watching it, I was 10, 11 years old. And it was Jimmy Lennon Sr. was the yeah. ring announcer. It was the NWA territory. Terry Funk, who just passed away. He was another one of the mainstay stars of that company. And that was the first time I had ever watched Terry Funk probably teaming with his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you spoke of Terry Funk passing away uh, the other day. Uh, that kind of sparked a, a thought in my mind and I don't know if we really ever talked about it but you know having uh, Mike Modest uh, you know around FSW and, and being an influence in the earlier days um, did you ever uh, talk to him about his experiences with uh, that filming of Beyond the Mat and uh, what did you think of that film when you first saw it well, yeah, I saw that way beforehand, so I knew of who Mike Modest was. Yeah. And, you know, he was doing the Border Patrol gimmick, Jack Slammy, 
did some work at APW before he moved to Vegas. So, uh, Modest was actually the guy involved because Bison Smith, who was at APW, went to Modest's school. Mm. So, I always heard the stories of the Robert Thompsons and all the guys. And that's how uh, Vic Capri got used in FSW. Uh, there was the King of the Indies that Roland first started with a, when APW was around. And it's crazy that Vic, Vic Capri in 1988 looks exactly the fucking same in 2023. You want to talk about a vampire? That yeah. guy's in better shape now than, than he was. And when we used him, you know, maybe it was the mid-90s, whatever. But uh, we used him in 2010 and 11. And on one of our best of FSW DVDs, him and Brandon Gatson at Samstown was was in that match listing. Vic wow. Capri's awesome, and you know, and and that's the start of when I when I talk to the younger wrestlers about making connections is the most important thing in the world, you know, because the Slammy's you know connection and being friends with Modest because initially we weren't going to run a school, but. A guy named Bart Blackson, Bison Smith, those guys came down. Uh, a guy who's like a renowned tattoo artist, uh, Doc Atrocity. He was a wrestler uh, through back in the day with those guys. Boo Boo Kamini, who was at APW. And Shane Dynasty was trying to have a new character named Fangoria. And years later, I realized he's the guy, Doc Atrocity, involved with the scum. And, you know, he's he's a very well-known figure in NorCal. And it's just amazing who you meet along the way that you don't you're not in touch with for years. But the wrestling community, you know, if you're in it and you do good business and and you make a lot of, I'd say, acquaintances, but you don't miss a beat when you do see him. You know what I mean? It's like, I love Brandon Gatson. Hadn't used him for a long time. He, he kind of disappeared. His back was bad. He stopped wrestling. All of a sudden, he came back. Hey, I'm going to be in Vegas, Joe. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, hey, you know, we got this young kid. Love to have you work him uh, named Chris Bay. And, you know, 30 seconds into the match, Gatson's taking this crazy fucking bump on the uh, outside of the mat. And it's like, I guess his back's feeling pretty good. And then we didn't use him again for a while. But then he started maybe, you know, that might have been the trigger, but whatever it was. And now, you know, he's been killing it again. Yeah. And it's crazy how you look at all these guys that hadn't been around that they're probably now late 30s, early 40s, that they are way better today than they were in their mid-20s. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, kind of a combination of a few things. I think, uh, you know, it's a little more of the maturity and disciplining, of course. But, you know, I look back 20 years ago and it was fairly harder to maintain um, your body. And I think now... It, there's just so much more available and so much more known that I think that some of the guys who, you know, didn't really pay attention back then because you're 22, 23. Now, you know, you hit 35 and you're like, you know what? I think I better start doing this, this, and this. Uh, and then in Gatson's case, you know, he, he has a superstar daughter. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's like, if she can do what she wants to do and, and reach her goals and dreams, it's like inspiring to, to her dad. And that's pretty freaking cool. Well, you know, wrestling to me is like when I go play golf, you know, I go play golf and my score is not going to be very good. And it's like, man, that fucking shank that this shot sucked. And then all of a sudden you're playing like shit. And then all of a sudden you smash a fucking drive. You end up hitting the second shot onto the green. You two putt for a par, and all of a sudden, everything that happened before was erased. And yeah. now it's like, oh man, I'm going to par every hole. And it's kind of like me with dealing with the kids and having the shows. And you get that frustration to where you're like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. 
you know, I'm tired of this crap. And then all of a sudden you put together something and you're like, oh, man, this was fucking awesome. Can't wait for the next one. And right. you and that's what you have to do. You know, it's just like in sports. You got to if you're a pitcher, you got to forget giving up the home run and focus on the next thing ahead of you. And, yeah. you know, when you're younger, you don't do that. When you're younger, you focus on it. I, I deal with so many guys and then you talk with them and it's like, bro, what are you fucking worried about? You know, it's like, or they're that disappointed. The match sucked. It's like, man, everybody's going to have shitty matches. It's like right. L.A. Knight came back from the first time he was in WWE and he wrestled Kenny King, who hadn't been doing much. And those guys had a shit fucking fest at the Silverton that they were both blown in 30 seconds. Brian Cage and Kenny King had a shit fest. Brian Cage don't have very many shit fests, but it happens. And it's like, you think Brian Cage is going to worry about the one shit fest? No, he's going to talk about the, 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 the 500 other matches he had that he loved working. And, you know, the younger you are, the harder it is to forget. Because now it's like, oh, I got a match next week. I can't believe it. Blah, 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 blah. I shit the bed. You got to worry about shit in the bed when it's your first or second match, but you're going to get an opportunity. It might take a little longer for me to book you if you shit the bed in your first or second match because, right. hey, maybe you just aren't ready yet, and maybe you'll never be, but you can't look at one situation, and, you know, that unfortunately is what happens. You know how many times I hear Chris Bay bitching about, uh, you know, certain things in a match? And in reality, it takes away from the whole match. And it's like, well, you know, I watched it and I thought it was pretty good. But the better you are, the more you focus on your mistakes right. and how to improve them, which you need to do. You know, you can't just blow it off. But you also can't let that stick in your mind as you're going into the next spot because now all of a sudden that was on your mind and you blew another one. And that's what usually leads to chaos. And that's what usually leads to us on Future Shock trying not to have a kid wrestle another kid. Yeah. Future Shock's on in two days. See the way I let in to that. And there are a couple of them. Like, you know, we're going to have, it looks like we might have, say, an AJ Avon versus Fox that we were supposed to have till it was rudely interrupted by uh, Maz and Rochelle. These are two younger guys. But they kind of started around the same time. They've been practicing. They've been in the. They've been in with each other, hundreds of times. Not right. twenty times, but hundreds of times. And they should not shit the bed because they don't know each other. Right. Because a lot of times those first time matchups, they're a little clunky. You don't know each other, and that happens with some of the best. So <laughs> let alone the younger dudes, you know. So, you know, Future Shock, we got, we got some new talent. Uh, big, big kid out of Arizona, Jake Goldie. <laughs> and it's funny because his name's Goldberg, and I didn't know. I thought that was his work name. Like, really? Are you going by Goldberg? And he's like, no, my name's Jake Goldie, which is very smart on his, yeah. you know, on him because people would goof on him. But this is a big motherfucker. And he came down with the Arizona crew, another Dom guy. And he was extremely helpful with me at the Silverton. Whatever I needed, he helped with the door, whatever I had to get done. So it's like, hey, we got a future shock. And it's like, he's a big kid. You know, here's a good match for Big Fonz, who is a big dude. And, you know, no, no offense to the, the demirs of the world. But, you know, on a future shock, you want to have some competitive matches. You want to give guys opportunity. And not that Damir can't wrestle Fonz, it's wrestling. But matchup-wise, a 160-pound guy against a 280-pound monster, right? you know, it's hard for Damir to get in there and be able to do what he does best. Right. So I felt that was a great opportunity for, uh, for the Jake kid to come in and get that opportunity. Uh, we've been real fortunate over the last few shows, starting the anniversary, 
uh, between RBJ, Fox, and John Trademark. They all had opportunities, and they all excelled at the opportunities, and they sold tickets. So it's like, well, here's an opportunity. Sin Bodhi's available as one of our trainers. We're going to offer whoever sells the most tickets to wrestle Sin Bodhi. And right now, RBJ's in the lead. I know he's got about 20. He's got God on his side. He's got his people at the church buying tickets. You know, even Fox made the comment that maybe God was not on his side this time around. <laughs> and, and, you know, what a, what a treat for those church-faring people to come in and see Sin Bodhi. <laughs> yes. We can announce it as a handicap match. It's going to be RBJ and God versus Sin Bodhi. Uh, and, and Sin's chicken. He can, he can have yeah, he's got back. a goat now, did you see? Yeah. yeah. they got two goats. I guess, uh, you know, move to Pahrumpf and uh, every... Uh, His house has become sales. a farm. Yeah. You know, they uh, got eggs for sale if you need them. They got eggs for sale. And LJN figures. Look at look at you can get yeah. all your needs. Those are some good looking stuff, I'll tell you that. It's some of the best shit out there. It's amazing. You know, I, you know, I've talked with him on a few occasions. It's like, can you make them smaller? Can you make them in a price range? I know you got the 3D printer. Like, I want an FSW collection, but obviously you can't pay a hundred dollars for a Chris Bay and a Hammerstone. We got to get that price point down to where maybe we could sell it for 50 or 60 bucks, but the wrestler can make some money and Sin could make some money. Right. You know, obviously there's a lot of time involved. You know, if Sin's going to make out of a $60 figure from us selling it, you know, he's going to make 20 bucks. It's not worth it for him if it takes him five hours to make one. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like years ago, we, we, we found a place in Mexico through SoCal Pro, but they went out of business and they had some really good stuff. It was like Johnny Goodtime and Yuma and Ricky Mandel, uh, SoCal Crazy. I always remember it because I looked at them like, wow, these look pretty good. And I was in touch with them and it was like, hey, and they, they were really affordable. You know, it was like if you bought. 75 of them they gave them to you for like eight bucks each or something jesus wow and with the the case that said socal crazy and it had socal Pro, whatever it was like four dollars more and it was like i always envisioned at that time because the reno scum were our champs a funny bone all those guys travel so to offset the cost to sell 75 for me is going to be impossible but hey, funny bone, you buy, we split it, we make X amount of dollars. You know, if it's eight dollars each, we're gonna charge you eleven. And you're gonna sell them for twenty unsigned. And if you have the box, you could sell them for forty bucks because they're such an exclusive figure. Right. And that's one thing people collect nonstop. When we had the little ones, uh, the Funko ones, we were able to sell those for like twenty bucks a piece. Yeah. But it was cost effective. And then, you know, whatever happened with the girl kind of disappeared, whatever, you know. But figures are things people are going to buy and have an FSW collection. Like, just think back in the day, you know, if we did stuff, wow, you could have had uh, the, the first ever Sefa Fatu, Karrion Cross, Zoe Stark figures, yeah. Brian Cage, LA Knights, all those guys you know, could have been in the mix. And, you know, we've tried different things, but people people want things. You know, people put them up. You know, yeah. you see people doing, whether it's a podcast or they're filming something or they're taking a picture or whatever, and all you do is see all the figurines. And, you know, and I think in wrestling, if you can get indie guys and stuff like that, when you follow... I might have did a bread at GCW and see if we can get something going. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Brad Reeder is a great example. You know, he he's one of the best at you know ordering uh, things. Yeah, hundred percent. He bought the whole the whole uh, Funko uh, collection, which had Chris Bay and Cross and Hammerstone in it. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, thinking of uh, Future Shock here, um, what uh, what is on tap for uh, the women's match? Uh, Gypsy Mac is going to wrestle Tanaya. And right now, uh, as everybody knows, no, not everybody knows, probably most people don't know, but the CAC is coming up next week. Right. And, you know, there's so many people who reach out to me, FSW. Got this guy. He's been hitting me up for a few years. Vinny Pacifico. Here's a guy who now he's wrestling Alex Shelley for the Impact title. He just debuted at New Japan. And he's like, you know, still hitting me up. Hey, bro, you know, I'll get myself down there. I just want an opportunity. I, you know, I always want to work at FSW. And I've watched this guy's career grow. And up until three months ago, I thought this guy was at a, like, NorCal, you know? And it was like, no. And I saw him working. I'm like, wow, you're working on the East Coast? He goes, yeah, I live there. And I'm like, did you move? He's like, no, that's where I'm based out of. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. the reach that we have. And this guy's really talented. So he hit me up again today. And I was like, hey, October 1st, we're supposed to do something with Jay Lethal, but we're also might be doing a private show on a Friday. So if he's going to fly himself in, and I told him he understands the pay is the pay, well, at least if he came in for the weekend, I can maybe get him a gig with the private show too. And he was like, bro, I just booked that date like an hour ago. So it's like I finally said to him, man, if you can get yourself out here, I'll give you dates. You're really good. You know, most people are going to give up after two or three tries, two or three months. This has probably been two years that he's hit me up. And it's like now he's really good and, and probably needs us less than we than, than, than he needed us. You know right. what I mean? Like yep. he's already on the radar. Yep. But he likes the company. I guess he likes the Facebook Messenger chats to where, you know, I explain the whole situation to him. And and people respect honesty. You know, in, in a lot of cases, you know, the better guys appreciate the honesty. You know, a, a lot of the lower end guys, you know, I had a guy hit me up. I think he trained at Booker T's. He's 20 years old. He's like, well, yeah, let me know, man. You know, I'll make it work. And it's like, okay, well, you're not understanding. You're not, you're not reading what I just wrote. I said, you, you haven't wrestled for that long. I get it. You work at Booker T's. Respect for that. But spots are extremely limited, and I'm not bumping an inexperienced 20-year-old guy from out of state to take a spot for one of my trainees that are 20 years old that's put in the time and effort. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's never going to be a spot, but I'm not bumping anybody for you, and you've never sent me anything other than your resume that I trained here and trained there. Like, how about you send me some matches that show, hey, man, you're really fucking good. Yeah. Because that's the problem. You get a million a million of these messages. So going back to what I was saying, Brittany Brooks is on the show. And, you know, she's wrestled a lot of the FSW regulars and been involved working with Alice Blair and, and you know, Maz and Rochelle, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, let's try to give her something, you know, fresh and new. So I made a post on X, not Twitter anymore. It's X. Being that, you know, you see a lot of stuff about the CAC. You know, I have 20 girls from, you know, California hitting me up about wrestling matches. So I'm like, hey, if anybody's coming to CAC and that starts Monday, if people come in Sunday, if you want to come in a day early, I might have a spot to wrestle in a women's match. And I see people liking it, but not one person has responded being that there's going to be people from all over the United States here, you know, I would have thought an opportunity to wrestle on FSW against Brittany Brooks would be, Hey, a great way to get a really talented person to wrestle on the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, and you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you got what, well, when this air is probably one at the time of the filming, I got uh, basically a day because 
I highly doubt Saturday I'm going to get somebody, especially at the uh, the early Godsmack stain 4 p.m. start that we're going to have. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing to keep in mind if you, uh, you head down to FSW, 4 o'clock start, or if you're watching on Fight Plus, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific time start. Um, is there... Is there anyone on Future Shock that uh, in, in in this uh, card on the twenty sixth that you're um, that you're looking forward to seeing how they do in the particular match that you put together? Nah, not at all. <laughs> you know, the thing is, uh, uh, you know, Bodie's going to wrestle on the show. Lights, camera, faction are going to be there. Big Fonz. You know, I, I'm always – I look at Big Fonz as a potential FSW superstar. Yeah. And getting him on any show to keep that progression going is important. But, you know, the guy he's wrestling, you know, I hear he hasn't done it a long time. He's a big dude. He's got potential. People say good things. So I'm very eager to see that match. You yeah. know, uh, Koa, Blair Brody – they're going to be on the show, you know, with everything storyline wise and survival of the fittest and all the stuff. Those guys have taken a back seat because we we've had certain things that have to have to be there and they've been kind of left out. So, you know, it's like getting them back on track. You know, they are major parts of FSW. MK will be there. Uh, MK will be managing a new fella on uh, Saturday. So, you know, maybe he'll be managing, maybe, you know, with his ties to uh, CAC, maybe uh, he'll bring in a challenger for Brittany Brooks. Once I get off the phone, uh, get off the, the podcast with you, I'm going to have to hit up MK. Yeah. See if he can make things happen. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, or maybe he can coax one of the uh, the people out of retirement, and uh, from who's at CAC. You know, uh, he, he's tight with Missy Hyatt and Medusa. Maybe they'll wrestle right. Brittany Brooks. Right. Hey, if you can get Medusa to wrestle Brittany Brooks, I think that's a, a very valuable. <laughs> I think Br Brittany would benefit very much from that, even at even at uh, Medusa's age. You know, is it is that fascinating that? Pro wrestling is probably one of the only things because you can do it still in some manner when you're 50, 60, 70 years old uh, to some extent that you can still go in there and learn from that person um, that, you know, it's like you can't do that in baseball. You're done by the time you're 40. T Terry Funk was having competitive matches at 66 years old, maybe longer. Well, and one of the reasons apparently that he um, he got into bad shape was because he hurt his back. Uh, but then he was already in his early 70s, this was a couple of years ago, or mid-70s, and he went and made Dreamer's show, Tommy Dreamer's show, because Tommy Dreamer was like a son to him. And um, I guess took a, a, a bad bump there, and he never uh, recovered then from that point on. So I think for the last five years, you know, it was something that progressed from just the fact that he kept wrestling into his seventies, which is amazing. Um, is there anyone on the roster right now? Yeah. Even in the past that you look at and you go, that's the kind of person who is going to be wrestling when they're 62. Uh, on our roster, maybe Funny Bone. <laughs> uh, Sin Bodhi, he's got to be close to sixty-two yeah. already. <laughs> yeah, Bo Bone and Bone and Bodie, Sin Bodhi are both, uh, you know, cl closer to that. You're right. You're you're definitely right. Well, uh, Sin Bodhi's a lot older than Funny Bone. I believe yeah. Funny Bone's about forty. Yeah. Remy's Remy's like thirty eight. Right. Cody's right. got to be up there. Uh, but what, what about Kenny King? Are we going to see Kenny King uh, when he's uh, sixty five? 
Nah, he'll be making his uh, weak return to the Chippendales at that point. <laughs> the senior circuit. <laughs> That's right. The legend, the, the legends tour. <laughs> oh man. Um, Hey, that's a great question too. Uh, light camera faction, uh, like you said, will be there. Is uh, is Kenny going to uh, be there with the faction? I am not aware. I'm not sure if there's impact. I think there's impact this week. Yeah, I think there is. Yeah. Yeah, I, be I believe there's a taping. Right. Yeah. I believe it's Sunday and Monday. Yeah, I think. I may right. be wrong. Might be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because they, yeah, I, I think there's the impact tapings. Um, when you think about what you're, uh, what you're doing for um, survival of the fittest, right now, how does everything look like it's panning out? Does it look like everything is in place and uh, everything's pretty much set, or are there some moving parts that still need to be kind of put into place? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we can announce for sure that at Survival of the Fittest, Jacob Austin Young will once again challenge Gregory Sharp for the Nevada State Championship. Uh, Gregory Sharp will be at Future Shock to address the situation. And I believe that he is going to announce what type of match he wants to have. So you could be the first to find out, or the second, because I already have an idea. Have you have, it, just thinking of stipulation matches? Have has FSW ever run a dog collar match? Uh yes. I believe because I remember he wore the dog collar. The Hefe, who was once the manager of the Enemies of the State, uh. Actually, it may have been against Beast. Wow! <laughs> in a dog collar match. Wow! <laughs> now, if we've had any since, I am not uh, aware of it. Uh, I've always pitched the Russian sickle match myself. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen a good Russian sickle match since about 1985. Yeah, you know, if I if 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 memory serves me right, I believe there may have been a Russian in the Russian sickle match. It might have been a Koloff. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bet it was probably Nikita. You know, if Vladimir had one, it was on the Indies. You know, he used to sign autographs at the Walmart. And I'm like. What call off is this? And then it was like, oh yeah, he might have been like in the uh, the old UWF or something when Nikolai Volkov uh, right. left, and they had to have like they had to find they had to find a Russian. They had, they found him on Craigslist. I heard. Oh man, him him and Lance von Eric together would be a, a super. <laughs> there you go. That would have been brilliant booking. Um, so when you, uh, when you look at, um, survival of the fittest, uh, do you think that, uh, there's a chance that, uh, ice walks out without the title at survival of the fittest? Yeah. Is he, is he wrestling for the title? Uh, no. We already stated that, that there's going to be a Survivor Series match involving the faction. Okay. So there is no plan at the moment. Okay. But there still is a cash in the case at play too, right? There, there is, yes. Okay. Just, just seeing if Mr. Vandegrift might, you know, wrestle earlier in the day in that tag team match and then, I don't know, get an idea of maybe uh, pinning the champion when the champion uh, is left uh, in a four-on-one situation. 
you know, that there's there's a lot of situations. Right now we're looking at possibly all five faction members in there. And, you know, as of right now, I'm pretty sure uh, Clutch wants in and Bodie wants in. So the powers that be, we are going to, you know, see what makes sense. As we said, the uh, the women's match is going to be a gauntlet match. Yep. Uh, the Billionaire Boys Club of Cruz, Reno, and Class, the, they sent out a challenge, and I know Remy and Graves have accepted that challenge together, and they'll be bringing in a third party. Are we, are we going um, to see Gallo? Uh probably not AEW he's like their head of security you know they're paying him big bucks i guess he's going to be in uh, england this weekend so it'll be interesting to see uh we had just put it out danny limelight has called out hammerstone which initially i was thinking that the former tag champs hammerstone and graves former Nevada State champions, former heavyweight champions. Boy, there's a lot of titles between Hammerstone Graves and Remy Marcel. I was assuming that that was going to be the three-on-three. And I'm excited to see Limelight versus Hammerstone. You know, whoever wins that has to be in line to be a number one contender for the heavyweight title. Hammerstone hasn't gotten his rematch. Uh, we haven't seen Limelight since uh, the anniversary show, but he is definitely a guy that, you know, if you say, hey, name five guys that you could think could be the next FSW heavyweight champion, he's got to be in that conversation. So, you know, there were times before that, yeah, you, you might not be able to name the five, but, you know, we saw Hero Lou take, take ice to the limit. You got Shogun, you got Hammerstone, you got Limelight, you got Graves. Hey, is a big Fonz ready? You know, yeah. is the longest reigning Nevada State champion? Yeah. Ready. Is Matt Vandegriff ready? They, you know, you can literally name 10 guys on our roster that are legitimate threats, at least 10 guys. And then, uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, with the flight situations, for, with, uh, you know, Ace Austin's 12-hour journey at two stops from Westchester to Vegas, uh, Royce and Jarrell wrestling on a show the same night as ours at a 4 o'clock show to get on a plane to get to our show. So... We have made sure that there will be eight matches on the card. And we have announced, uh, actually, I'm announcing it here. It's probably going to be announced later on uh, the social media platforms. But we will be doing a traditional FSW suicidal six-way scramble. And right now, Richard King will return. Uh, I put out some feelers waiting to hear back. Uh, unfortunately, I was looking for the return of Eli Everfly, but he's not available. Uh, I've reached out to guys like Oasis and Brandon Gatson. And, you know, I'm, I'm first off, I'm looking for some former champions that maybe we haven't seen in a while. Sure. Uh, also got some interesting news that the, uh, the trainer of the beginners class at the New Japan School, Tyler Bateman, is relocating to Vegas. Ah. So we're looking forward to having him on a lot more shows. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he's a guy that's, you know, wanting to get an early start on his uh, journeys through FSW. So, you know, a primo genio is. is it, just got came back so there, there is so much talent that it's through the roof 
you know, and it's, it's crazy now you see Apple's got the Monster Factory, and now OVW's got the gig on Netflix, and Booker T's get doing a lot of work, and it's like, we may have to tweak some things on the other side, but when you put our roster up with every single one of them, I... I don't believe anybody can legitimately tell me that those guys have a better roster than ours. Sure. We tell stories. We have a great roster. You know, there, there's things in the production that need to be fixed. You know, the quality of watching it is great, but it's, it's the little issues that need to really be tweaked. You know, they, they can't work one show and not work another. Yeah. And, you know, that needs to be focused on and solidified. You know, somebody's going to watch it once, and if the fucking audio's fucked up and you can't hear the guy cutting the promo, setting up his match later today, how do I know the story if I don't know the story? Right. So, you know, it's a crazy time in wrestling. AEW's got 80,000 people in, in, in Wembley to, to watch their show. And the crazy thing is we can use those same guys, a yeah. lot of them, if we choose to, because the framework, New Japan, you know, how many guys are in New Japan that you can use in the United States? Whether, you know, we just lost Tito Escondido to a New Japan tour. So the Wolves Addies will not be in the four-way tag team title match. Uh, Tito hit me up this past week, and he's going to Japan uh, for about five weeks, wow. starting September 5th or 6th. So looks like we're adding the regulators to that match. I know uh, Chris Bay had been wanting to wrestle EJ Sparks in the past. And it was yeah. like, well, if you're in a tag, you're in a singles. So, you know, it's a good opportunity for the regulators to be in the ring with some explosive teams. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. Like you're watching AEW, uh, LAX, Santana and Ortiz are back, and AR Fox is out with Strickland, and somehow Christian is in with Strickland. And it – and sometimes things have to be done. Like in that case, whether it's an injury or it's a visa, Ray Phoenix is hurt or what, whatever it is, you you have to have a backup plan. You have to be able to be able to fit in. And with our roster so strong, there's so many, so much good talent that may not be making that show just because of placement and where it fits. But if something comes up, boom, there's the backup plan. Right. And you're trying not to miss a beat, you know, and regulators, totally different dynamic than Tito and Shay. So, you know, it definitely makes that four way, which was more top heavy with heavyweights to now all of a sudden having Ace Austin and Chris Bay, the unguided and the regulators uh, with Royce and Jarrell. Yeah. So now it's going to be a little more high-risk type match instead of a ground-and-pound, which looked like was a good opportunity before we added the unguided and now the regular. Um, does that um, – when, when you have a dynamic change, does that put – your idea of how you want to, how, how you envision the match uh, in terms of getting to where it needs to get to at the end, does that put it into uh, their hands a little bit more and adjusting it and uh, coming up with something that will be uh, just as uh, rewarding as what you originally envisioned that match to be? Uh, only if, and, and again, this it's, it's half joking, but it's only if the other participants 
don't treat the regulators like Tito and Che. Like if they act like they're just being plugged in and everything they wanted to do, they're still going to do, that would be dumb. Right. And I don't think any of those people in there are dumb. You know, I know Chris Bay knows what he's doing. And he's probably going to have a lot of input. And, you know, there's probably things that I would have wanted with Royce and Jarrell and Tito and Che, because for people who don't remember, Royce was leaving to the NWA, and that was the last time we had the 1%, and they were wrestling Tito and Che. Yeah. And we, I made the decision to change the finish because we weren't going to have Royce and Jarrell. Because the setup was the 1% who got jumped by Hammerstone and Graves when they cashed in the case for the tag belts for the first time ever. We were setting up some big matches between the two of them. We were looking forward to that. Those were some great matches we wanted to have. Yeah. And in a perfect world, love to have the 1% wrestled Hammerstone and Graves. But it didn't happen. You had to make do. Because... Royce was not available. You, I couldn't book him with through his because of his NWA contract. I had to go through them, and they wanted top dollar. Whether it was a school show, a casino show, there was no middle ground. Right. So now, with the regulators in there, it's going to be a different dynamic of what we're going to do in the match. So. There's not the two powerhouse tag teams. They're going to try to slug it out. Was not there that they won't be slugging, but, right. you know, not that Royce and Jarrell, you know, putting Royce in there and Tito, you know, those are two, two big guys who pride themselves on being stronger than their opponent. Yep. And it'd be a nice dynamic to watch the gel of – Three years, four years later, because that had to be 2019, 2000. It was, it was 2019, yeah. 2019. So it's almost, it's over four years later. And look where Royce and Tito were four years ago. Yeah. They were on the cusp of either dropping off or moving on to the big time. And then yeah. the pandemic hit, and then nothing happened. And Royce's NWA stint, you know, he, he teamed, I believe, with Bram. But, again, with the pandemic, not a lot happened. And now we fast forward to 2023, and, you know, Royce has been in Japan a few times. Tito's going back again. And it's like these guys' stock has risen, you know, 100%. You know, thankfully, they've only, you know – charged me an extra 25%. But, you know, the thing is where they're at professionally, we were excited in 2019. So in yeah. 2023, I'm through the roof getting the opportunity to use these guys who have now gotten the notoriety that when we're on Fight Plus, that guy from New York knows who they are. Back yeah. in the day, if you weren't from California, you didn't know or Colorado who Royce Isaacs was. Yeah. You didn't know who Tito Escondido was. If you were an indie fan on the West Coast, yeah, you knew Tito. Bad dude Tito. Bad motherfucker. Yeah. But now people in Chicago and people in Florida and people in Pittsburgh and be people in buttfuck anywhere in the middle of the United States, they know who they are because they've seen them on New Japan. New Japan strong. They've wrestled all over the country. Now they've wrestled all over the world. And to have them on your show, especially on a survival of the fittest that has a Hammerstone and a Chris Bay, and then mixing in with our guys like Ice Williams and, and Shogun and Vandegrift and, and, and all the young talent, it's like, wow, you're going to tune in because, hey, you got to see the Bullet Club. Oh shit! These regulators—they—they—they they, they can hang with him. Oh, these unguided. These guys are super cool. Oh man, Royce and Jarrell. These guys wrestling in New Japan, you know, and you know, and Tito, 
not with Che, but had the opportunity to wrestle Bay and, and Ace Austin in Impact when they were doing stuff. Yeah. So there's so many guys that had such small followings when we first utilized them that now they they have so many more followers and people who are aware of them. It only helps us as a company. And then it helps the younger guys who are now looking for work. And it's like, oh, shit. You guys hung with Ace Austin and then uh, Chris Bay. You guys are good. Yeah. Last time I saw you work, you know, you, you wrestled some local yokel, you know, company guy in Arizona. You know, I can't tell how good these guys were. They looked like they were okay. But, man, on a national stage against somebody really, really good who have a national contract, yeah, I, I, I can use you guys. Yeah. So you know, it, it gives them the resume to go out there and hopefully get better bookings. You know, yeah. look at the Suavecitos. They yeah. can say, yeah. fuck, we were in a six-man tag with Kushida. Oh, we had a really good match with Chris Bay and Ace Austin. And they were getting love. They were the young, brash team. But now that resume is starting to, to, to add up. Yeah. You know, it's starting to get thick. Yeah. There's a lot of competition out there. Why, why do I need to fly in two Mexican kids from Las Vegas to wrestle my show in Montana? or Alabama or Arkansas. Well, they're damn good. That's why. That's why Joe DeFalco brought in the Young Bucks in 2009. Sure. Nobody fucking heard of them, but I thought they were a badass tag team that, wow, if I'm trying to build my company, well, wow, this would be a great tag team to have on there. Yeah. Uh, as we uh, get to the uh, end here and wrap it up, uh, any final thoughts uh, for the listeners about uh, Future Shock on the 26th at 4 p.m. Pacific time? Yeah, come check it out. You know, uh, our swamp cooler, the big one, is working pretty good. You know, the, at 100 degrees outside, you know, it's going to be comfortable in the FSW arena. You know, Future Shock is the place where you basically saw for the first time Sefa Fatu and Carrying Cross and and the Vandegrifts and the Jay Vidal's and, and all our younger talent. And, you know, come check it out. We have a mixture. Bodie, 16 years old. You know, he's going to be on the show. Big Fonz, Tanaya, Brittany Brooks, 18-year-old sensation. You know, she's she's kind of following the footsteps of Billy Starks, who is 18 years old, yep. you know. But she's been doing it a while. But Brittany Brooks is really getting a, a name following um, you know, I was talking to DJ Hyde over at CZW and we were talking about maybe doing something in the future. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, who's part of your crew now? Bye. You know, he, he knows Bay and he knows some of those guys or whatever. And, you know, and I had mentioned Brittany Brooks and because he was looking to do a show possibly in L.A. next year. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for some local talent because he wasn't going to fly everybody in from the East Coast. They've kind of really started getting things together again. And Rich yeah. Swan is their champion. And Jordan Oliver's working on the shows. So me personally, I thought there was heat between him and GCW. But if Jordan Oliver, who is like, you know, one of the top three GCW guys is working that company, I'm pretty sure everything's copacetic with them. Yeah. You know, compared to Circle Six and GCW, it's like, you know. Yeah. They still owe me money, so I don't give a fuck about them. But, you know, they did bad business. It is what it is. You pay your people, you know, pay me what you say you were going to pay. Is what it is. But, obviously, if you see one on that show, it's like, you know the guys who no longer work for GCW? Because all of a sudden, they're like, oh, shit, Matt Justice is on Circle Six. Like, he was a mainstay in GCW. And yeah. Again, what happened? I have no idea. Not my business. If I see Brett, I might ask, but I'm not going to go out of my way. He's hard enough to get in touch with about dates and stuff to, to ask him why a certain wrestler ain't working for him anymore. You know, that's a more in-person thing because, you know, I'm still trying to lock down the 
FSW GCW three in December. I know they're coming back to LA in October, but from what I understand, they'll be there in December when we were looking at doing uh, the Sunday here. So, you know, hey, thanks to us, Bodie's gotten the exam, uh, the experience of wrestling now in enemy territory for GCW on more than one occasion. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Future Shock is, is the place. Tanaya, who's getting a lot of bookings elsewhere now, our student. Yeah. Debuted on Future Shock. You yeah. know, RBJ got his first out of state booking. Fox, AJ, now part of, uh, you know, being a part of Jay Vidal's. Yeah. I, guess, I can't say crew, they're the only two. But. <laughs> But he's got a lot of his young talent, John Trademark. These are guys that you look at and you're watching and you're like, yeah, I don't know if this one's going to last. Oh. But, you know, they put in the hard work and they never gave up, even when they had struggles. And now it's reaping the benefits and they're getting to perform in front of their family and friends. And hopefully down the line, you know, more than one of them, Maybe becomes the next Jay Vidal, Chris Bay, Cross, Sefa, you know, Zoe, where you say, man, I remember that first day this motherfucker came in. Or, man, how he left after two months and what a washout he was, and then he showed back up three months later. <laughs> because there's always stories to tell, you know? It's like, yeah. I got a great Sefa story, how it started, and a Cross story, and a Bay story. And a Zoe story, yeah. and Vandergriff, and 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 Jay Vidal, and you know, you, you always remember, you know, people when they came in. And to be honest with you, I didn't remember the conversation with Chris Bay, but man, you know, that will always be entrenched in a memory. Yeah. You know, when the you know down the line they're doing the the Chris Bay biography, you know. Joe DeFalco is going to have uh, a part in it, you know, however big or small, you know, and, and that's what you had mentioned earlier about me ever getting in the ring to wrestle and doing stuff like that. You know, it's funny. Cody brought up some old Buffalo gym stuff and it was at the silver nugget. And I remember when honky tonk man wrestled uh, superstar Mike Lane and I, I did guest commentary. I think that was my first experience as like a color commentator. And I thought I did that match, but when I looked, it wasn't me. I was disappointed. I'm like, man, where am I in the commentary? But that was what I always wanted to do. It started, you know, somebody asked me the story, and it started my me by doing college radio, and then when I came out here, deciding to start a a, a wrestling radio show. Which got me to meet Buffalo Jim, which got me to be at his shows, which got me to be like, hey, I think I can do these shows and I think I can do them better. To do in Vegas Extreme at Rush's place and being undermined by a guy like Mike Lane trying to not get their baby beginner wrestlers to wrestle guys like Mike Knox and Derek Nykirk and Bison Smith and Snooker Jr. and Ace Steel. Ace Steel, by the way, wrestled with us. Wow. Vegas, uh, back in the day, because we had we had the modest connections in the West Coast, and we had the Chicago connections with my boy Pete, who trained a little. So he trained with like Cabana and Ace Steel, and right. and right. Punk, Punk, and yep. that whole crew, and he stayed tight with Ace Steel. So Ace came out a few times, you know, for us, and then you had the Riggs brothers who. Dylan Klein wrestled in NXT and Funny Bone when he had hair and he probably had no tattoos and, and things like that. I need to bring some of that other stuff back to the network. I'm not sure if we did. I even hit up Rush about trying to get Rush's shit to put it on the network back yeah. in the, the old UWF days. Yeah. That'd be really interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone... Uh, Again, tune in to Future Shock uh, on the 26th, uh, this, this Saturday, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. 
and uh, if you're in Vegas, come on down. You can see the show at Power. Buy some tickets. Buy some tickets. That way, maybe I can get my wife a Godsmack T-shirt. You know? <laughs> nah, she don't. She don't want one. Instead, it's buy a, you know an over an overpriced hot dog. Well, and uh, you know, if you if you buy tickets, uh, you could probably say that Excellence uh, sent you and uh, bump his numbers up, so we get a triple threat match, right? No, Ex- Je- Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Excellence, he's not, I, he's not available. He don't uh, sell tickets anyway. The only friends he got are in Reno. <laughs> well, look to check it out again uh, this Saturday, the twenty sixth, and uh, we'll be back next week, everyone. Take care.